Gathered Vesa Medrash, we give Kovar Achmed in this world. Rab Zvulin, Ben Avichil Mechel. Chalaps, life was a very colorful and multifaceted life, as you'll hear through the course of the Hespedim. At the core of his life was his connection to Gedoli Yisrael. His grandfather, Zayda, his father, Abichel Nuchel, from whom his mind never left his side. Great Gedolim of Yerushalayim and the Gedolim of America. He interacted with them. He was their confidant. And he taught the next generation how to appreciate the wisdom of Gedolim Yisrael in our own halls. Of course, the Rav and Arab David and Rav Noyach, and Rav Yerucham, and so many more. As a representative, Yibodol Lachayim and Toiv Maruchim, of this aspect of my father-in-law's life, we begin to be hesped with Rav Shachter. In America, we all say that all men are created equal, but in our uh, religion, it's not exactly so. I'm not a Kohen, and I can't be macro-carbonus in the base of Yigdush. I'm not a Levi, and I can't blow the Chatzotzus. And I'm not from Shevet Yehuda, so I can't be uh, a Melech. The Chalap family was Yidua. Chalap, that's the tradition. Chalap stands for Chia Rosh Legolas Poilin. They, their tradition has it that they were descendants from David HaMelech. And it was a Mishpacha Milchesis, very important for many years. Abchalab's parents were both very well known among the Rabbonim in New York City. Whenever one of the Rabbonim would have a serious Shaila, Chalitza, serious get, something serious, they would often call his father. Whenever someone from rabbinical family <laughs> would be sick, 
they would call his mother, that she should say till him and she should be mispalal. My family's connection with the Chalab family began before I was born. My father learned here in the yeshiva. My father came from Europe, he learned here in the yeshiva. The European boys didn't have any money, so the yeshiva gave them all the food for nothing. Then they arranged that they should eat by families on Shabbos and Yontov. So my father always ate by the same family in the Bronx, the Winkler family. My mother was a cousin of the Winklers, that's how they met. My mother was always eating by the Winklers. My father would always be there on Shabbos and Yontov. And for uh, quite a few years, my father told me he used to learn with Rabbi Chalap's father every Shabbos afternoon. I think he said he used to learn Choshemish, but together. I was uh, brought up in Pennsylvania, and when we lived in Philadelphia, the day school only went to the fifth grade. So my parents decided to have to send me to stay with my grandparents in New York in order to go to Yeshiva for the sixth grade. So I stayed by my grandparents who lived in the apartment building that was adjacent to the Bronx Jewish Center. I was a little boy. I was only in sixth grade. My, my recollection is, maybe it's uh, incorrect, my recollection was that it was a gigantic shul with a women's balcony upstairs and Rabbi Chalap. Rabbi Chalap had a booming voice and his voice carried, always spoke in Yiddish, his voice carried the whole shul. So my grandfather, whom I stayed by, my grandparents, my grandfather was the Shamus and the young Israel of Tremont. Rabbi Peretzky's Young Israel. So I would, half the time I would daven in the Young Israel, and half the time I would daven in the Bronx Jewish Center. So when I would daven in the Bronx Jewish Center, I was like a little yosem, because my grandfather had always daven in the Young Israel. So Zvon Chalap would have me sit next to him, and he used to teach me as a little boy, he used to teach me Chumash Rashi. Remember when I went to the Young Israel to daven, so there were other classmates, I think, of Rabbi Chalab, they were all learning for smicha and yeshiva. So they didn't learn with Mechom Hashemash. They were learning Rabbi Yoyna, Pirkei I don't think anything went into my head from the Rabbi Yoyna, Pirkei But the Chom Hashemash, that, that stayed with me. Years later, when I got married, Rabbi Chalab attended the wedding, and he said a bracha. He participated in the wedding. After we had children, so we went, I was married, had children. We used to go to the Wayu bungalow colony. We had Rabbi Chalab and Rabbi Parnas, Sheyichia. Moshe Arya Schwartz used to learn Harusa all day with Rabbi Chalab. From the Bronx, Noach Goldstein was a gabai. He was a rabbi here in Yeshiva. Leo Landman was a dean in Bernard Revel. The one who wasn't from Wayu was Malagalinsky, but he blended in. The whole chere was a very pleasant bungalow colony, only around 15, 20 bungalows. And it was all a Wayu chere. I remember the same summer that... Uh, Rabbi Eberman moved to Eretz Yisrael, moved back to Eretz Yisrael, and Rabbi Chalap was appointed as the Menayel in Yeshiva. 
the same summer, Rabbar Nichnesim moved to Eretz Yisrael, and Dr. Belkan appointed me as the head of the Kail. So I'm in the bungalow colony. We were planning ahead. What we're going to do to straighten out the yeshiva? Everybody had, had ideas. Rabbi Chalapaz, the Menayal, was always interested in the welfare of all of the Talmudim, the welfare of the Rabbeim. He always had a dry therapy pad for any occasion. His style of learning was the old style, like his father, like his grandfather. In fact, uh, in the volume that they have outside, I think they have the letters, Rabbi Shimon Shkup gave up on, on the future of the Jews in Europe, and he wanted to go to Eretz Yisrael to give a shi'a America Sarav. So they sent him a letter, no thank you, we have the Derech Halimah of the Groh, we're not interested in your Derech So I think they have the letter in this, in this uh, volume of collected Mamorim. Rab Chalap used to tell stories, he belonged, to, he belonged to a different world. He would tell stories about his grandfather, about Rav Kook, that he heard, stories where he met Rav Meir Barilan, he met uh, Rav Avala Salavechik, he was always thinking, always talking about Eretz Yisrael. I remember he would say, every so often, every year, he would say, I think he said, there's a Shailam when you write a Ksuba or a Get, how you spell ear with one yud or with two yuds. So I think he said, the Yisoscha says you should spell it with two yuds because the word, the name ear, stands for Ani Hashem Fecha, so you have two yuds represent the Shem Hashem. Rabbi Chalap always used to say, that the Rashi Tevis Avir, because they have both Yom Hatzmut and Yom Yerushalayim. So he said, Aleph Yud stands for Eretz Yisrael, Yud Resh stands for Yerushalayim. Should be with two Yuds, because Eretz Yisrael and Yerushalayim. Everything by him revolved about Eretz Yisrael. He was always talking about the Gedolim and Eretz Yisrael. Under his, under his leadership, together, of course, with Dr. Belkin and Rabbi uh, Dr. Lim, the whole yeshiva changed when I was a student in yeshiva. All the rabbeim spoke Yiddish. All the rabbeim were Europeans and they spoke Yiddish. And under Rabbi Chalap's uh, leadership, together, of course, with the, Dr. Belkin and Dr. Lim, it switched to an English-speaking yeshiva with American rabbeim who had a totally, totally different style. I remember he told me more than once that he never wanted to give up his position in Rabbonus, even though he was busy in yeshiva, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. If he'll be completely dependent on yeshiva for his pardasa, then he'll find it more difficult to disagree with Dr. Belkin or with the other administrators. If he has, if he maintains his independence, then he'll find it a little easier, and he often disagrees. We often disagree. Now remember, Moshe Bezin told us more than once that when all the, all the deans got together and that each one was pushing, pressuring in his direction, the biggest fighter was Rabbi Chalap. Rabbi Chalap is always fighting. Everything should be the way he wants, the way the Rabbeim wanted. I owe a great debt of gratitude to him. We all owe a great debt of gratitude. He's Yichwebol.
Shechter recollected at the heart of Rabbi Chalaf was Yeshiva University, its students, its leadership, Terbeim. He was one of the great uh, stewards of Yeshiva University. And he believed in the greatest passion in what Yeshiva University accomplishes. On many occasions, in different ways, he would express that the idea of Sulam Mutsavartsa, the Roshay Megia Shemaima, is reaching its fullest expression in the accomplishments of our Yeshiva. He welcomed and was a wise and understated counsel, first to Dr. Belkin, then to Dr. Lamb, then to Richard Joel, who was in Cleveland and cannot join us this morning. And now to our president, Dr. Ari Berman. In the Chalab home, whenever Chalab referred to the president, it was the president of Yeshiva University. That is the great respect with which he served the presidents and with which he welcomed and was so very proud of the selection and the sent to the presidency of Rabbi Berman. With the great club of the Riyas Rabbi Berman to deliver the Riyas. We're gathered here today to mourn the passing of a giant of our yeshiva. Fittingly, in the main base medrash of Yeshiva's Rabbeinu Yitzchak Hanan, an institution he stewarded, loved, and nurtured for nearly four decades. As the Maxim Marion Grill Dina reads from 1971 until 2008, Rabbi Chalap raised generations of Jewish leaders. He guided rabbis and developed our yeshiva. When he began as the dean of our yeshiva, Rav Salvechik was still in his full power. Rav David Lipschitz was teaching. Rav Yaakov Moshe Lesson was our mashkiach. And we just a few years earlier appointed a young Rav Herschel Schechter as our newest Rosh Yeshiva. At that time, there were those who were wondering about our future. Will American Jewry survive the passing of the European generation? Will America be able to rear and produce great Talmidei Chachamim to lead our community? It was Rabbi Chalap who was at the helm who ensured that not only was that answer a resounding yes, but that the yeshiva more than survived, but thrived to see its largest growth and capacity continuing until today. And he did it with his own unique way and flair. Uh, for those of you who were uh, Talmud in the yeshiva, as I was under Rabbi Chalap, I remember so many uh, interactions and opportunities to learn from him, one of which 
is when he walked into Shear uh, before every Chag. And I remember as a student of Rabbi Rosenzweig, Shear 30 years ago, Rabbi Chalak came in and the message he delivered was that our yeshiva was a continuation from the line and limud of Elijah. And the heart of his message was the importance of limud Torah and to see ourselves as deeply rooted in the Mesorah of yeshivas that we are the direct descendants of Elijah going straight back to the earlier yeshivas, straight back to Sinai, the direct descendants, of course, Medor Lador. At the same time, Rabbi Chalaf expanded from Velazhin to include Torah Eretz Yisrael. Upon entering into the yeshiva as a student 80 years ago, he received a letter from his famed grandfather of Yaakov Moshe Chalaf, published in his Sefer, where Rabbi Chalaf's grandfather wrote, Kechoma shetarva yoser shifosecha legadlus, Tegadel Yoter, and the Kameitz B'Shifos. As much as you have uh, ambitions for greatness in Torah, you should even grow further. You should never shortchange ambition. Tisha'ef liyoz gadol b'Yisrael. Hamusag Yehudina Eman, eno kolel hakol. Zeo rak bitoy Amerikani. Don't just settle on Yehudi Naaman as a good God-fearing Jew. That's an American idea. You need to strive to be a Gadol the Israel. Your eyes and your hearts being towards Israel all of your days. And so he did. And it's that very spirit, as Morena Verbena of Shechter spoke before, the spirit of Torah Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael that added to the distinct character of our yeshiva. I would also add his tremendous breadth of knowledge, which I experienced most directly after I left yeshiva, when I was the rabbi of the Jewish center. So Rabbi Chalap was the Max and Marion Grill Dean of Ritz, and Max Grill who lived way past a hundred years old, uh, was my congregant. And I would attend many events with Rabbi Chalap, Rabbi Lam, and Max. And seeing Rabbi Chalap carry a table of balabatim was just magnificent to uphold. He was an expert in American history. He regaled those around him in his private conversations and public remarks with a breath that included an effortless familiarity with museums, art, literature, history, culture. His relationships as a congregational rabbi, his charm, his ease of conversation in all venues, manifested itself in the incredible relationships he had with all people in his concentric circles of influence. I remember Rabbi Chalab speaking to me about Balabatim he had, I remember some famous baseball players, actually, that were in his congregation. His familiarity, his ability to connect with people uh, was truly astonishing. And seeing some of the lay leaders who we worked with come today is a testament to his warmth and to his personality. It was truly fascinating. Myself, growing up as a Talmud and afterwards, connecting with Rabbi Chalap on a different level to experience all of his layers. 
at the root and most dominantly as a manig of our yeshiva, which Limud Torah was the core focus, as in Velazhin, a belief of Torah Yisrael and religious Zionism which runs to the core of what we're about and a full comfort with worldly wisdom that he can masterfully interweave into the conversation when most appropriate. But all of this is a partial description of Rabbi Chalap's importance to the yeshiva. These are just some of his character traits. But who he was to our yeshiva, to, in my mind, as a former Talmud Muslim Rebbe and now president, was something far greater. In 1986, Rabbi Chalap wrote an article about the preparations of the Kohen Gadol before Yom Kippur. His focus was the moment the Ziknei Kahuna charged the Kohen Gadol with an oath, with an oath that he would not deviate from the right path. And without getting into the complex analysis of Rabbi Chalap about who exactly were the Mashpi'in, was it Bezdin or was it the Ziknei Kahuna, Rabbi Chalap concluded that the halacha highlighted the dual identity of the Kohen Gadol. That from the perspective of Klal Yisrael, the Kohen Gadol was the shliach of Hashem, shluchei derachmana, bringing kapara to Hashem's people. But from the perspective of his fellow Kohenim, he was their shliach, representing faithfully them when he did the avodah. And this, to me, represents an archetype. It's a rare individual who both completely stands for Hashem, a shliach derachmana, with his own integrity, uniqueness, and personality, who also fully stands for and entrusted by his colleagues, peers, and talmidim in every way as shluchena. Rabbi Chalaf's life's work was no easy task. One cannot underplay the challenges of navigating complex institutions with major religious figures and holy agendas. And I think that in this respect, what characterized Rabbi Chalap and why he was so successful for our yeshiva was his unbelievable humility, integrity, decency, and kindness. Now, I remember when I was a student and I spoke with uh, Rabbi Chalab, and I'm sure this we mentioned a lot uh, subsequently, that I was surprised when I started the conversation, Rabbi Chalab took out a book and he started writing down everything that I said. And in every conversation of all of the students, Rabbi Chalab would take out a book and have the Sefer Zichronos and he would write everything everything down. And at first, I was quite stunned. And then, I felt so elevated. Like he actually cared about what I was saying. That he was machshiv uh, my words. Uh, Rabbi Chalap was there uh, for everyone. He didn't carry personal agendas. The Rebbeim administration his colleagues, his peers, the Talmidim, we all believed he was our shliach. Because he was. In so many ways, Rabbi Chalap was the glue that not only held this makom together, but enabled it to rise. He was for us a shluche de Rachmana and a shluche didan. 
Chazal teach us that kol sheruach habrios nocha imanu ruach hamakom nocha imanu. V'chol she'ein ruach habrios nocha imanu, ein ruach hamakom nocha imanu. One with whom people are pleased, Hashem is pleased. One with whom people are not pleased, Hashem is not pleased. I would add homiletically that the makom is of course Hashem, but it's also the makom in which one resides, works, and builds. This makom, this base medrash, the base medrash where we all grew up in, this yeshiva, was forever changed, elevated, and made great by the religious personality and character of our longtime Rebbe and Dean. He began as Dean under Dr. Belkin, partnered throughout his career with Rabbi Dr. Lamb, maintained a close relationship with President Joel as his special advisor in Yeshiva Affairs. And Richard Joel wrote to me expressing his apologies for not being present as he's traveling out of New York and he shared some warm reminiscences of how much Rabbi Chalap loved the yeshiva and our Talmidim beyond words. When Rabbi Chalap began as dean of Ritz, Richard Nixon was president of the United States. Rabbi Chalap stewarded the university, the yeshiva, through eight U.S. presidencies, multiple wars in Eretz Yisrael, 9-11, the financial meltdown, and managed to leave the yeshiva as strong as ever, producing rabbis, educators, and leaders to serve our constituents, each according to the needs, aspirations, and challenges of the generation. Rabbi Chalap, throughout his life, was a student of American history. He now leaves as part of American history. Rabbi Chalap moved generations by focusing on each and every individual, by being true to himself, utterly devoted to all those around him, committed to being Marbit's Torah in its highest forms, he leaves a legacy of enormous import. Of course, his greatest legacy and love are his family. We extend our deepest condolences to our Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Yaakov Neuberger, to Pesci, to all of the children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, both in the United States and in Israel. As we sit inside this base medrash, packed together, we are all a collective testament that Rabbi Chalap realized his grandfather's bracha upon entering this yeshiva as a Talmud 80 years ago. With she'ifos ever-growing, he not only grew as a gadol batorah in his own right, but helped instill in a community the belief that it can raise Gedolei Torah. With a nechav libcha yisham kol ayamim, he infused Eretz Yisrael into all of our lives, leaving an incredible legacy of Ruach Habrios and Ruach Hamako. He will be sorely missed and always remembered. Tehei nishpato tzurah, Round out our appreciation of Rav Chalap's creative interest in every Talmud. I ask Rav Blau Mashkirchani to say Kvitel Tehillim. Tehillim. 
Shomer Yisrael Adonai Shomrecho Adonai Tzilcho Al Yad Minecho Yomom Hashem Eshloyakecho V'yoreach Baloylo Adonai Yishmorcho Mikoro Yishmores Nafshecho Adonai Yishmor Tzeschol Boecho Me'atov Yad Olam In managing the day-to-day requirements of the yeshiva it's hard to find a more trusted confidant and aide than of Chaim Bronstein that's why Bronson to say a perk to help. Shiramalos, Mishivanoya Shivasia, Owen Hoyinukahomi. Isimales Rautpinu, Ushonenu, Rinah. Hello, Jaylay Hubacho, no se mesha hazora, boyabobrina, no se abumosa. With greatest testaments to the home that Harav Chalab and his Rebbitson shaped. That each of the sons in law dedicate large amounts of their time to the study of Torah. I want to single out Avavris, not only a, a noted Talmud Chacham, but whose Tzidkus' uh, piety is there to match. We, the sons in laws, are humbled by the more than sun-like fashion. She tended to Rav Chalap in most difficult situations with a, a focus and a love and an ubergegeven kite that is really unusual. Rabbi official Becher was the aide of the son-in-law who welcomed me into the family as a, as a son-in-law. Early on in his life, he left the world of business and 
came to the world of the Beis HaMedrash, returned to the Beis HaMedrash, became a Rav, became a Rebbe in Yeshivan in Mansi, Magadshir, and a charismatic individual and a charismatic teacher. This would have only happened because of the way that Chalap raised his daughters. Asker of Avram Fischl, and then Steve Frager, and then Michael Schneider, to say Dibber Hesper. so many times over the last half a year and uh, sometimes it seemed like it was upon us and precious and it was and he pulls through and he pulls through every time this time get a call Sala took him to the hospital everybody starts saying to Helen and everybody feels it's a fighter a pull through wasn't meant to be. Wasn't meant to be. The Gemara Brachis tells us the following story. Rebeliezer Cholash, Olegabe Rabbi Yochanan. Rebeliezer got sick, Rabbi Yochanan came to visit. Chazid the Havakagani of Beisotam. He saw that it was a very dark house. He was living in a dark house. Gal he revealed his arm, and became, the room became illuminated. And he saw Rebeliezer was crying. So Rebeliezer says to him, Michael Bochus, why are you crying? Is it because you did not learn enough Torah. Shaninu, Chazal tell us, Echad Amarba, Bechad Amamit, Lovachi Chavalibal Hashemayim. You learn more, you learn less. If you have Chavalibal Hashemayim, fulfilled your mission. Vimishim Mizaini, are you crying because you were not Zaychet to be a wealthy man? Like all Adam Zaychet, Sheshel Chanes, not everybody Zaychet to Torah Gdul of Makamechet. If it's because of children, you're not children. Dain Garmed Dasiroi Bir pulls out a bone from his tenth son that he had buried. Rabbi was telling him he lost ten children. So why are you crying? Ramalei, Shabbaloza tells him, I'm crying because of this beauty, meaning referring to Rabbi Yechon was such a beautiful person. And that he will be swallowed up by the earth. Ultimately, he is going to die. Omalei, Shabbi Yochanan said, Aldo vade kabachis. That's 
good thing to cry about. And they both cried. Strange Gemara. Talking about beauty, greatest of my rhyme. Talking about his physical beauty, that he's going to die and he'll be lost to the world. So there's another Gemara. The Gemara in Bavmetzia, Pedalit. The Gemara, first of all, tells us that, in fact, that Yechanan was such a handsome person. The Gemara tells the story where a shlokish, where Yechanan went to swim, and a shlokish saw this beautiful person swimming, and he thought it was a girl. A girl. He jumped in, and he comes over, and he sees this Rabbi Yechanan. Rabbi Yechanan says, Hadarbach, I'd let you marry my sister. You do tshuva? Shlokish at the time was the chief bandit. Tell them, if you do tshuva, I'll, I'll let you marry my sister. She's even more beautiful than I am. So in fact, Rabbi Yechanan was a very handsome person. The Gemara prior to that says, Amar So what was his beauty? Strange, the Gemara talks about his beauty. It says, Anor ishtayim mishapire Yerushalayim. He said, I'm left over from the beauty of Yerushalayim. What does that mean? I'm left over from the beauty of Yerushalayim. He's talking about this, the buildings, the, the city. He lived a number of years after Yerushalayim. But what he was saying is that if you look at me, I still can represent what Yerushalayim used to stand for. The Pesach Migdash, spread Kedusha, that made Yerushalayim beautiful. That made the people of Yerushalayim beautiful. He said, if you look at me, he was saying, I am, if you look at me, you could still see a remnant of Kedusha Yerushalayim. That's the beauty that they were talking about. That's what Rabbi Loza was crying when he saw Rabbi Kiv and he saw that he's crying because of Haishufa the Balabiara, that this beauty will be consumed by the earth. It's the beauty of Yushalayim. Once he leaves, we're not going to have that beauty, that connection to Yerushalayim that we had till now. My father-in-law, in essence, was a karta de Shafraya. He had in him the beauty of Yerushalayim. He had in him the beauty of Torah and the beauty of Gmilas Chasodim. Everything that a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants out of a person in this world, he was imbued with that. He represented, aside from the fact that his family comes from Yushalayim, many generations, but that's what he was and that's what he represented. He was connected. He, he used to talk, tell us about his, when he was a teenager, he went to Eretz Yisrael, he met his grandfather for the first time, and he was so taken and his whole life was surrounded by talking about his Zayda, Rabbi Yaakov Moshe Chalab, And then he once told us he went to visit the Briskarov with his mother, Rabbi Chalab, So they came into the room. Rabbi Chalab, my shver, was not there. But he was there. Uh, his, his father, I'm sorry. Rav Chalap's father was not there, but my shver was a teenager. He came with his mother, and the Riskarov stood up, Meloi Kaimosai, and he said, Eishes Chaver Kechaver. Rav Chalap's 
father of Yechiel Michal Chalap was a chaver, a tremendous going in his own right. So he stood up for Rebetz and Chalap, Eishes Chaver Kechaver. Those are the kinds of stories he would tell over at the Shabbos table on occasion. But that was his connection to those generations. That we're not Zoycha, most of us here probably were not Zoycha to, to, to meet them, to see them. We hear about him. But he was able to bring that forward. But aside his connection to those generations, he was a very connected in his own time to his generations. And he was able to inspire his Talmidim here in Yeshiva. Um, and he tried to instill always, even to the sons-in-law, to anyone he came into contact with, he always demanded excellence in learning, excellence in the no okenat, perfection. That's what he wanted from his Talmidim, that's what he wanted from his family as well, that we should always work hard to the essence that we could, the essence that we have, that whatever koichas we have, whatever abilities we have, we should maximize those abilities. But he could connect also. He had a shul, Young Israel Marshall Parkway. We did not have um, brilliant scholars at Talmidim as you had over here. But he managed to connect with them and to inspire them also because everyone has to be elevated. Um, I remember there was one family in the shul that their father or grandfather lived in the neighborhood. He davened there. And he convinced him, he convinced this person, send your children to my Talmud Torah. This is before he was here in yeshiva. So he had a Talmud Torah in the shul that he used to run. So he told him, send your, send your boys to Talmud Torah. I don't know, whenever, afternoon, whatever it was. These three, and, and the father agreed. And these three boys became God-fearing Jews. Yerei Shemayim, Chesed, one of them, many years later, if he had a family, he was nifted suddenly. And we went to Menachemovo, and his wife said, you know, he died in his bed, he had a heart attack, and he had a Gemara, Rochis, by the night table on the side. That's how he used to go to sleep. That was the inspiration. The father sent him to Talmud Torah, but this is what he became. But the story does not end there. He had, this person had three sons. These three boys today are Marbitze Torah, Rabbeim, in the best yeshivas. One of them, as a matter of fact, my father-in-law had him... Um, I think go over the notes of Rabbi, some of Rabbi Yaakov Moshe's writings and had him work on them and then to put it together. And he said, my father-in-law said, that all the years in the shul was worth it to produce this one family with these Talmidei Chachamim. It was Kedai. All the years just to produce his family. But he had 
Others also. But this is what he said about this family. It was all worth it just for them. So he, his, his life's work was here, but his life work was for all people. His show, anyone, anyone that he touched, anyone came to him to speak to him, he was there for them. He was really a devoted Eved Hashem to every, every person. And he could speak to everybody intelligently in whatever field that person was in. He was a very broad person. Aside from learning, he was broad in his knowledge, in all kinds of knowledge. and could speak to everybody intelligently. He used to have sometimes at the Shabbos table, he would invite uh, different people from the shul, some were doctors, some were lawyers, and he could connect to everybody. No issue whatsoever. And inspire them all. As Rabbi Shechter said before, his passion for Eretz Yisrael knew no bounds. No bounds. He was so proud of anyone who would go and uh, move to Eretz Yisrael. So I'll tell you one little story. Uh, a shita that he had. When I came to the family, the shul was packed. It was a big shul. Full shul. Neighborhood was good. Over the years, the neighborhood started to change. People started to move. If someone moved out of the neighborhood to go to Brooklyn, to Queens, they would not make any announcement that the person left. They wouldn't announce it. They would not send, give them a send-off. But if someone left the shul because they were going to Eretz Yisrael, to move to Eretz Yisrael, so he made a tremendous send-off announcement. I think he would even give them a present, a safer or something, because that was really very special to him. That was his passion for Eretz Yisrael. Shev was a brilliant person. Gifted with a brilliant mind, which he used, which he used to his fullest. To his fullest. But he was also a creative thinker. Didn't just accept things the way they were written and just didn't rely on you know, previous knowledge that he had, but he was always creative in his learning, both in Torah and in Drush. The Sefer, the Sfarim put out, the Shefa Yamim, the Zebatoi, his testimony, his testimony to that. Um, we used to come to Muncie on occasion for Shabbos, so I would be Mechabedim to speak in Shul. People wanted to hear him. He was a unique speaker. People wanted to hear him. He could give a drusha about any parsha right off the cuff. He had no problem. He's been speaking for, for 60 years. It was not a problem. He had plenty of schoira. But he would always try to find something new to say. And very often... Uh, he would stay up by the table. We'd finish the Suda. He would stay by the table. 
and he was learning, and he was thinking, and my wife would sometimes find him at the table two or three o'clock in the morning, that he fell asleep at the table. So my wife would say to me, you know, maybe, maybe he shouldn't be mechavit, he doesn't sleep. He doesn't sleep, maybe he should not be mechavit him to, to speak, not to take away from his covet, but, you know, look at what's, it's, it's not good for him. So I made a pshara, and I said, I'll only ask him to speak on the way when we're walking to shul. <laughs> so that's what we did. But he, he always managed to have something to, to, have something to say. Um, I want to give you, tell you a story that happened with me. You see his sharp mind. I was in Eretz Yisrael a number of years ago, about five years ago. I was getting off a bus in Rechavia. And next to me, getting off, was uh, another man who's carrying like an English book. And as we get off, he engages me in conversation. And we start talking, and you know, Jewish geography, where you're from, this and that. And before you know it, you know, I tell him I'm married to Rabbi Chalap's daughter. He's really, Rabbi Chalap was a classmate of mine. Or maybe a year ahead, or a year before, ahead of me, or a year before me. Let me tell you a funny story. Okay. She says that they were in high school, or maybe college, first year college, I'm not sure what year it was. And he says, somebody walked by, not from the yeshiva, somebody walked by and started carrying on and saying, wherever it says the word oisoi in the Torah, it refers to oisoi ha'ish. That's what this person said. So he, this fellow was with my father-in-law. And he says, my father-in-law speaks up, and he says, you're right about that, but in one instance only. La kelev tashlichun aisai. La kelev tashlichun aisai. That was his harifus, quick. But perhaps... Above all his brilliance and his charifus and shavkite and his creativity and learning was his golden, gracious heart. An overwhelming personification of the Mid of Chesed. Mid of Chesed. From visiting sick patients in the hospital, Montefiore Hospital was just down the block every Shabbos. After the Suda, before, after davening, he went to the hospital and went around the whole hospital to visit any, any patient, any and every patient that was there. To bringing home guests, never, we, my mother-in-law, I don't know if she ever knew how many people were coming, but you see somebody needs a Suda, you invite him for the Suda, no questions asked. Um... Aside from that, he was the most generous Baal Tzedakah, with no limit to the lines of Shalachim that were waiting at the door for him all the time. Never turned anyone away, and he was always very, very generous, very generous with his Tzedakah. The Gem- The Gemara in Brachis, 
Gemara Brochus tells us, Amar Abchel Ben Rav Huna, Kol Akaveya Mokum Litfilosoi, Elikei Avram Biyazroi. Someone is Kaveya Mokum, establishes a place for his tefillah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Be'ezroi, helps him. Ukshemes, when such a person leaves, Oimrim Loi, E Anav, Woe is to the loss of this Anav. E Chassid, Woe is to the loss of this Chassid. Mi Talmida Shal Avram Avinu, He said, Talmidim Avram Avinu, and Mabit explains, he says, if a person establishes himself as a God-fearing Jew and a goymul chesed like Avram Avinu, and he follows in his ways, he's a Talmud of Avram Avinu. So, yeish lo yasiyata d'shmaya, kedugmas hasiyata d'shmaya shahoyel Avram Avinu. So he gets the siyata d'shmaya. Mishim shenechshav ke talmidai memala mekoymai. And that's why when he leaves the world, we lose all this. We're losing a chassid, an anav, a talmidah shalav ramavinu, bal chesed, sha'asa chesed, ra'ata chaselonu esat sadik, sha'holach bedachia ramavinu. So we're losing the person who establishes his, his, his place in the world. He's a doer for Baruch Hu, And he leaves the world. When he leaves the world, woe to us that we're losing such a person. That's what I would say over here. Eichasid, Eyonov. Time has come to say goodbye. The person I've known, I swear, for so many years. He was the Av, Yava Mishpacha, the leader. So we just, like this, Machila, there have been occasions where I was not Noya Kishura, I may have upset him. Yes, Mechila, Mispalo, for all of us, for the whole family, for all of Klal Yisrael, especially the Shvuyim, soldiers, everything cared. He cared about everyone. And certainly he'll go be Mispalo that there should be great Yeshuas, especially for Eretz Yisrael as well. Bila Movas Lanetzach. Moch Hashem Lekim Diva Mi'al Kaponim. So much to say, but <clears throat> I'm going to focus my comments descriptions of the latter years of his life, a period that began a little over 12 years ago. He was a great man, but in the last 12 years, I think his godless went even to higher levels. So a little over 12 years ago, on Arab Yom Kippur, I believe, 
Shanayan Bays, that he came to YU on Arabian Kippur. I think, I'm sure the other people here are on Arabian Kippur, but most of them are probably spending Arabian Kippur in the yeshiva. He came to the yeshiva even though he was going to be spending Yom Kippur in, in the Bronx, because this is where he had to be. This place, this yeshiva was such a big part of his life. He never made it back to the Bronx that day because he injured himself and ended up spending the Kippur in the hospital. And then uh, he, sukkah, he was in rehab. And in the middle of Cheshvan, it was decided that he wouldn't return to the Bronx, but that he would come to my home and live with us in Muncie. We were supposed to take care of him, but uh, what he did for my family was so much greater than what we could ever do for him. There's a Pasuk in Tanakh that I always think of when I think about these the years that he spent in my home. It was about a five-year period. Kabeidat Hashem Yonecha is a Pasuk in Mishlei. And... Uh, the literal translation is honor, honor Hashem with your money or with your material possessions. But there's a medrash that teaches us that it, it could also mean honor Hashem with your talents, with your abilities. I first learned this medrash from Pesach Krohn. He described that the medrash brings down about Navos. Um, I won't go into details, but if you, if you say from Malachim, it's, 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 it's Navos is, dies at the hands of Izel and Achav. And uh, the Medrash deals with why did he die? The Medrash tells us he had a special talent. He was the greatest chazan of his time. He had the, nowadays, a great chazan compete for jobs for tens and tens of thousands of dollars on Yom Narayim. Fifty years ago, the great position for Chazim was the young Israel of Mashal Parkway. In the days of Novos, the greatest job for Chazim was on the Shosh Regalim in the Beis HaMikdash. And that was Novos' job for many years. And one year he decided he was too old. He couldn't do it anymore. And that was the year that he died. When my father-in-law came to my home back in 2011, things had suddenly gotten very hard for him. He was using a walker. Later, he progressed to using a cane. Later, he progressed to not using the cane, even though he should have been. He came to my home in the, in the middle of Cheshvan. Uh, I knew that it was the last night to say Kiddush Levana. He had just come into my home. It was difficult getting up the steps. And I told him, you know, I know you've been in the, in the nursing home. I'm sure you haven't done Kiddush Levana. Can, can you make it for two Kiddush Levana? Just face it up and... It was going to be very hard. He had to go to the backyard to go down the steps with the walker and put the side walker and hold, his, hold him until he got down. 
But he, it was so hard for him those year, those years. But he he did everything for Shemayim. Pergelos, right? He, he he ran like a deer with the strength of a lion to do the, the ratzon of his father in heaven. If I can paraphrase Rabbi Yehuda ben Tema. There's so many examples of those years. He connected to so many people. So it's it's not like when we get invited to a wedding. When he, people invite him to a wedding, it, if he can come, it, it just lights them up their lives. When they see him walk in, one time he had three weddings on a Sunday, and uh, people made sure that he and he made it to all three with the walker or with the cane. I don't remember. Because people wanted him there so much, they arranged for the transportation to bring him from Long Island to New Jersey to wherever the third wedding was. The first week he was in my house, we, I took him to uh, the Shavbrachos. And again, we had to take the walker, we had to put it in the trunk of my car and bring him there and then bring it out and bring him into the Shavbrachos. Somebody was speaking, everybody, the speaker immediately stopped and everybody came rushing to greet Rabbi Chalap. And uh, very soon I realized that I wasn't going to have to come pick him up because everybody was fighting over who would be the one to have the schuss to bring him back to my house. Such was the schuss for my children those years that he was in my house. I was still young, growing up, and things were very difficult for him. He would always scream, girls, girls, for them to come running to help him to find his cane, to find his tillin, to find, to help him with something. And they came running. We should have done more for him. My wife asked me, and I also want to ask Mechila for not doing as much as we should have through those years that he lived at our home. I have one other request. My daughter Yehudas is getting married in three weeks. We named her after your companion in life and now your companion in Shemayim. I want to invite you to the wedding. I ask that you bring Yehudas Chalap, your Ebitzin, and bring my parents and bring the Chassan Zaidi. And so that we can, that they can share with the living babies and zadies in, in, in our simcha. There's so much that could be said that, in a sense, the, the less, the better. Um, but in thinking about the gravity of my father-in-law's passing, um, 
the Pusuk came to mind, uh, into my mind. It was the um, the Pusuk, the beginning of Sefer Shmos, Vayamas Yosef Cholechav Vchol Hadora Hu. There was there wasn't just the passing of a person. There was a paradigm change, and that's what I feel this is. With the passing of my father, um, there were never very many people, anything like him, but today they don't exist, and anyone in the future will will, will have no appreciation um, unless they met my father-in-law. Um, my father-in-law. Has been said by a very well by my brother-in-law official. He existed in, in different worlds. Um, he, um, he he was a tremendous Talmud Chacham, and yet he was able to appreciate um, other cultures, other worlds, without it influencing him in any way. And he was, that was, in my mind, a function of his complete honesty. Um, not only was he honest in financial matters, he was intellectually honest. Um, he evaluated every idea on its own merits. Um, he, his guide for what was correct was his own Svara Yashara, his, his sense of what Gedolim from present and past generations would do, particularly his father and his grandfather. And he did not uh, fall prey to groupthink, to doing what everybody else was doing. He was big enough that he could figure out the right thing on his own. Um, and all the Chashavah Rabbanim my father-in-law had one unique uh, Mila. I don't know of anybody else who would have persisted in his rabbinus in in the Bronx in Young Israel, Young Israel Mashu Parkway. Um, as the neighborhood continued to deteriorate, um, the shul was barely hanging on. Um, not only was the shul hanging on, the neighborhood was was had long past been no longer hanging on. Um, not only was he the only from Jew in his building, he was the only Jew in his building, and and it was a type of building that um, most people sitting here would not even walk into. Um, and yet, uh, every person who encountered him, uh, he was able to encounter every person with Sefer Pan Miafos. Uh, he made an impression on every single person. He was Makadeh Shem Shemayim with every encounter because he was who he was. He didn't want anything. He didn't have any agenda. He was there for one reason and one reason only, because he cared about his congregation. Uh, and he, he could have had many other positions, but his view was Besocha Ami Yosheves, and he didn't want to be anywhere else. He only wanted to be with his congregation. He cared deeply about his congregation. Uh, and he, he stayed with it as long as he could, uh, and we used to come visit him, and 
for people walking into that building, it wasn't always so pleasant. There'd be loud music blaring into, into all hours of the night. There'd be all sorts of characters. Um, you, you, you wouldn't believe it unless <laughs> you experienced it. But he, for him, he, he, he was barely goverset. He was there for his show. That's all he was going for. He was there for his people. Um, and he was there because he cared. You know, was his, God, his godless was, as my brother-in-law said, is that he cared. Um, we used to go to Shul. He used to make a Misha Beirach for every Cholid by name. And he used to... Uh, the length of the Misha Beirach for Cholim was... Uh, I've never seen it before. When he would have an Aliyah, he would make a Misha Beirach for all his grandchildren, and we would sit there and wait, and he would remember the name of every grandchild, and this is what was really important to him. It was, this, is what he, this is what he was all about. And he had a way, in every drusha, whenever he was asked to speak, his goal was to, to make other people, people feel good. He spoke at my son Mordechai's bar mitzvah, my son Mordechai just had a baby boy yesterday, he spoke at his bar mitzvah, and there was another simcha in the show, and he spoke all about the other family. Um, he came to Chicago for, I have triplet nephews, for the triplet nephews bar mitzvah. He made up a drasha for their bar mitzvah. And all, he was, all his kochos was because he had tremendous avas Israel and he cared about other people. Um, there's so much to say, and I can't possibly say it, so I'm going to stop here. Um, I ask Michila, I know that there are times that I did not show proper kavod, and I ask Michila for that, and he should be a Melitz Yosher for, for my family and for all of our families. Peter probably knows intimately the day-to-day decision-making the balancing of so many different tasks and actually prepared to say capital to him. Shiramalos Ashrei Kol Yirei Adunai Haholeich B'Drachav Yigiyah Kapecha Kisochel Ashrecha Vitov Lach Eshtecha kegefen poria biarkasei vesecha. Vanecha kishesile zesim saviv l'shulchanecha. Hinei ki chen yivorach gover yirei adinai. Yivarechecha dinai mitzion, urei betuv Yerushalayim, kol yemei chayecha. Urei vanim levanecha, shalom al Yisrael. I was okay to enter into the the Armon Amelech when they married the Pesci.
I'd like to say the very Hesped that uh, Pesci wrote in the early hours this morning. Dearest Daddy, I always was and will ever remain a daddy's girl. That's what mommy sometimes called me, and I suppose I deserve the title. After all, it was clear to me that you were the most adventurous and fun-loving father. During those idyllic summers in Paradise Bungalow, which teenager didn't clamor to get into your station wagon for the daring joy rides you provided. And while it is true that I cringed when all the responsible parents took you to task for your recklessness, deep inside I reveled in the knowledge that my father was the coolest. You were also the most exciting. Your bedtime stories with Punzel and Rumpelstiltskin were dramatic literary events. And I will never forget the lesson of Dr. Seuss's Bartholomew and the Ublick, which turned into one of your best-loved sermons. But my warmest summer memories of the walks to the candy store in Buffalo, a couple of blocks from Bubby and Zadie's house. Levy and I each got a double-stick popsicle nearly every day. And by the end of the summer, we'd collected scores of them. Just before we returned to New York, you sat down with us and Elmer's glue, and spent hours building and painting our dream miniature dollhouse. In my eyes, you were the, also the most brilliant man in the world. The scope of your knowledge was breathtaking. Everything interested you. You read voraciously, and your memory was powerful. How I swelled with pride each time one of our many, many Shabbos guests brought up a most random esoteric topic, historical, political, scientific, or Judaic, and you regaled them with an anecdote that not only revealed your understanding of the matter, but made it come alive. And yet your formidable intellect was most impressive because it was paired with the heart of gold. A heart that ached with the pain of those he loved and soared with their joys. How many miles of back and forth, middle of the night walks, did you take along Marshall Park with your Balabat? How many hours did you spend in heart to heart conversations with Talmidim and the Yeshiva and with her babe? But as your eldest daughter, who marveled? At the number of things you packed into a day, I always knew that no matter what you were doing or to whom you were speaking, your softest spot was for us. Your secretary had strict instructions to always put us through. Sometimes it was clear that the time was inopportune, but you wiped away the tears explained the Rashi, and with your signature positivity, assured us that our performance would be spectacular. On the exam, on the interview, on the job, on the date. Your heart throbbed with a passion for Torah, and you applied the most creative energies to its study. The results were legendary drushas and shiurim, 
I can still feel your excitement as you delivered them from your stender and shul. Now forever treasure that you drew me into the magnum opus which you developed in the eleventh hour. You chuvit rush of the Agudas Rabbanim. Bezos anibotayach and avaschinam. And how you love this hen. No matter what. Years ago, I asked you and mommy how you never wavered in your faith when you lost Yaakov Moshe. Your voice choked up as you answered me. Mommy never wavered. I relived that moment many times. It reminds me of mommy's emunapshuta, but also of the avoda that you undoubtedly put forth to remain the fervent mammon that you were to the very end. When your colorful and vast vocabulary had all but slipped away from you, only a few coherent phrases remained. And the one you uttered most often was Hodu Lashem Kitov your gratitude to Rebbeinu Shalom for absolutely everything it was humbling. Mostly, you were grateful for Mommy. The legacy you both left us has many lustrous facets, but none sparkles more than your love and respect for each other. It was expressed in many ways, which are more precious if they remain unshared with others. I hope you knew, though, that they deeply impacted every one of your children. Daddy, until ten years ago, I would have never written anything of import without your critique and approval. You bequeathed to me your love of language. And it is from you that I learned the importance of wielding words that penetrate hearts, souls, and minds. I have missed so many things in this very difficult decade. Your fatherly authority and counsel, your unabashed laughter, your thoughts, and your wit. But right now, as I write, perhaps the most important words I will ever pen. I miss your keen eye, which would surely have made them better, but also have known that they were written with the deepest love. That's going to be closest. Papa Danson Rebeyev for Rosewipe to take a little toe. Shiramalos Lishlomo, Imadonai Laiv Navayis Shav Amluvonavbo, Imadonai Laishmar Ear Shav Shakad Shomer. Shav lachem ashkimekum, meacharei sheves, ochei lechem ha'atzavim, 
Kenitain Lidido Shena Hine Nahala Sadonai Banim Sahar Prihabaten Kichitim Biad Gibor Kain Beneha Nurim Ashrea Geber Shermile Asashbaso Mehem Lo Yevoshu Kidabru Esoivim Bashar Alexander Halav, Ushkolul Magachir, Erov, Rav Machshir, Bro Karadavua. He encompasses so many of the worlds of Rav Halav. Imagine how a day goes by without Rav Alexander thinking about his father's. model and guidance. First, just before <coughs> he leaves, <coughs> I want to thank Robert, who really gave of himself the past while, unbelievably, I saw, I was in the hospital one night, and literally not two minutes went by without him going up and making sure, getting up from his recliner every two minutes to make sure that my father was comfortable and that everything was okay. Father once expressed that there's an ongoing debate between the optimists and the pessimists, each one vying to claim to be the realists. The pessimists say they're the realists, and the other people have rosy-colored glasses. The optimists say, why are you making everything so negative? It's not as bad as you're saying. That's not reality. Who is right? And he said that, in truth, the pessimists are correct. The way they see it is the reality. Were it not for the optimists that changed the reality. And that's mamish the way he lived life. His style, just watching very close, he was an enigma. Everybody is relating the same idea. But he was, even in his approach in day-to-day life, in certain ways he was a soldier, he was a military man. There wasn't a day that he could be late to yeshiva. There was no such thing. Erev Pesach, after Mechiris Chometz, I have to go to yeshiva. Just to, what are you going to yeshiva? Nobody has to go to yeshiva every day. There was no such thing as missing a day. His routine was exactly the same every day. Davin the same. Every single thing was the same, down to what he ate. He ate a bowl of cereal in the morning. He would have a bagel and a diet, caffeine-free Pepsi with an orange for lunch every day. And 
definitely the last 25 years, a can of sardines and a bagel at night. That was what he would eat. That, that's all he would eat. You would ask him anything else, not interested. My mother would get him sometimes to have some fish with the salad. At the same time, he was really a chassidish hearts. Just to relate one, one story, but there are tens of these. Remember years ago, the chazin in the Bronx, who was an old European chazin, and the old European chazanim used to repeat words. And he repeated, and definitely in the piyutim he repeated. And when he was nifter, <coughs> new baltfila that was going to take over Eichenholz, and he was going to be davening Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. And he asked my father, can he repeat words? He said, no, no, no. If you're not from Europe, you can't repeat words. <laughs> you're not allowed to repeat words. So he said, okay, so then we're going to have to change some things. He said, no, you have to keep all the same nigunim. And my father was tone deaf. So it's not like he had such an appreciation for it. But he said, you have to keep all the same nigunim, the Ramah. You can't change the nigunim. He said, what am I supposed to do? He said it three times. That's the way the, nusuch, the old nusuch went. He said, well, your son is going to be there. My son is there. So your son will say it first. You'll say it second. My son will say it third. And there you have you three times. He said, why do you care so much about saying it that way? If we can't repeat so... What are we making ourselves crazy for? He said, you know, there are people over here in the Bronx that only come into shul on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. That's the only time they come in. When they hear that Barash Hashanah Yikasevan, Uviyemtzim Kippur Yikasevan, that is their form of tshuva. You want to take that away? It's a different look, a different perspective, a different appreciation of a human being. As many related, Rabbi Berman, the brother-in-law, Rabbi Fischel, he had an unbelievable ability, and especially in her letter, an unbelievable ability to relate to all different types. I saw it from anything from a fifth-generation Yerushalmi to an Irish guy. Everything in between, mamish, it could relate on their level. And sometimes Rishlaim and Milshalachim that end up in Cleveland, they will ask me, they say, your father's born in Yerushalayim. No, he was born in the Bronx. It can't be. He, he, he's, he knows Yerushalayim. He's, he's Yerushalmi. And Mamish would think that he related that way. And... Anybody else, the most unaffiliated person, he related to them on their level. 
our Shabbos table was, we had a broad array of people. You could have an old-style Bundesjudishist with a cowboy, a chassid from Williamsburg visiting somebody in the hospital, an unaffiliated yid that just walked into shul and he invited him for Shabbos, and somebody that the only thing they knew about were the trains and the subway system of New York. And through the Suda, and it could be a long Suda, <laughs> he would have each person, Mamish, wake up. I remember one time he was in our home in Cleveland in the sukkah, and we had a certain guest who used to eat by us from time to time. I could never get more than a one-word answer out of him. Never more than a one-word answer. Yes, no, thank you, maybe it was two words. My father comes for Sukkot, and he asks him, so what do you do? He said, I'm an architect. What type of architecture do you like? And he starts speaking, I can't even, I didn't have time to prepare, but he, he would have been, he went through all the different great architects. And he said, you know, that building, so-and-so was a, supposedly the architect, but if you ever read up on it, the real architect was so-and-so, but he took it over, so the architect on record went down as so-and-so. But, and the guy woke up, and for an hour, the rest of us were quiet. And they were having a schmooze about architecture. It was the only time I ever saw this person open his mouth. But that was his ability to mamish connect to everybody, and he really enjoyed it. It wasn't that he was just doing a table for somebody. He enjoyed all parts of life, of everything. A number of people have asked over the years, you didn't receive any secular education? You never went to college? I went to the Shabbos Suda every Shabbos. <laughs> that was the secular education and, and Jewish education, everything. This combination of optimism and appreciation of each individual is what helped him to believe in and to really instill a tremendous sense of confidence in Talmudim and children. How often did he tell me about a certain Bachar when he would be introducing or not introducing him, even not in his presence? He's a Mitsuyan. That word Mitsuyan was like his definition for a Bacha. He's a Mitsuyan. How often when he really appreciated a Devartera, he would express it. It's a brilliant Devartera. He appreciated the uniqueness of each individual, and with his optimism, he really saw what it could become. He said at my offer a few years ago that a man once came over to him and said, Rabbi Chawab, you're an only child and your wife is an only child? He said, yes. And we never had any uncles or aunts. Both my father and mother were only children. 
said, and the next line that he said, to me, seemed absurd. He said, is that hereditary? <coughs> he said, and for years, I always thought the person was crazy. But Beliai and Hara, I'm starting to appreciate that it must be, because I have a whole family of only children. And that was Mamash's approach to the children. And we know how much he loved the yeshiva. And one time somebody expressed to a sibling of mine that there are three types of rabbeim in yeshiva. And this is years ago, 30 plus years ago. Said there are some rabbeim that like it, that it's why you. It's not a yeshiva. There are some rabbeim that don't believe in it and they're just doing a job. Your father thinks it's a yeshiva. And he really believed in it. And Rabbi Berman mentioned it before. He saw it as this is a yeshiva, this is the yeshiva, and he really invested unbelievable kaychas to that end. But at the same time, he was very open-minded. Most people that are open-minded are open-minded only in one direction. He was open-minded in all directions. And he let us pursue whatever it was, and I think he, he definitely encouraged us to excel in whatever we were going to pursue. His optimism really helped him in life unbelievably. How living in the Bronx, most people would go through every day. As one of my brothers-in-law described, the building was not... He would walk into the building. Do you see the marble stairs? We lived in an apartment that was such a large apartment. The high nine-foot ceilings. And the beautiful parkway. Anybody else would look at it. This is the, I don't want to use the adjectives, but the Bronx. And to him, he really, I remember one of my sisters heard a drusha from a Rebetzin that was describing the mysterious nefesh her parents had. And she said, I walked out of there, and our family, we lived under worse conditions, but we were never mysterious nefesh. We were the luckiest people in the world. I think that's part of what helped him in Yeshiva Rabbi Berman spoke about his humility, and he had to navigate very, very difficult situations. There are many here that can attest to it much more than anybody else. And I think really a driving force in what enabled him to do it was that optimism that he saw what the yeshiva can become. He saw what the yeshiva was becoming. He saw that mitzuyin. He saw those bachram, and he had an appreciation for it, and he really was driven by it. The shul, he started off, it was a fledgling shul. The whole idea of a shul in the 50s, being makbid on a was not at all something to take for granted. The shuls then were going in the other direction. Ten years later, he was proud that they had built the shul, and he would always tell us it was the first shul that had central ear in the Bronx. 
and it was the first shul in the Bronx built in many years that built a balcony for the ladies. There was no discussion about it. There was a young Israel, Yimp, young Israel Marshall Parkway. But back in the 70s already, he would make an appeal every year to support a Kailul in Eretz Yisrael. This is before Dr. Kailul. This is when it was not at all in style. And I remember one guy that was banned from coming to the shul because of whatever reasons it was. And he would come once a year after shul to tell my father what he's going to give to the Kailul. And I once read in Young Israel Viewpoint, I believe, when he was president of the Young Israel Rabbis, he got them to support a Kailul in Eretz Yisrael as well. He, I forgot the name of the Kailul, but he initiated the idea of supporting the Kailul in Eretz Yisrael. Terror was crucial to him, was critical. One time he walked in, it was Ben Azmanim. I was a teenage bacher, and I was sitting on the couch. And he walked in, and he said, what are you doing? And I was so proud that I was able to say nothing. Baruch Hashem, I'm not making any trouble. I'm okay. He gave me such a schmooze. Nothing? You're just sitting doing nothing? Open a safe and learn. If you're doing something, you're doing something. But nothing? His, later on when the shul was really falling apart, there were two lines that we heard many times when we would try to convince him to leave the Bronx. One, I believe he got it from his father. A captain doesn't leave a sinking ship. He would not leave. No matter what was happening, he said a captain does not leave a sinking ship. Number two, probably 14 years ago or so, I was there for a Shabbos. It was in the winter, and he always had a shear in the house Friday night. And he still had the shear in the house Friday night. And he started the shear probably 8.30, maybe 9 o'clock. I was very tired. By 10, 10.30, I was falling asleep. He had two people at the shear. He had prepared the shear, and he kept on going with the shear. One of them was sleeping deeply. One of them is in this room. And he kept on going until 11 o'clock at night. I said, what are you bothering them to come out? What, what, and you prepare a whole shear. What's going on? So this is what you do. If not, you'll be nothing. It has nothing to do with how many people are there. You have to prepare, you have to deliver, you have to give, and you have to learn. If your Seder was that you learned that, you keep that Seder up. He started in the Bronx about 40, 45 years ago, a daily shear, which was not in style at that time. And 
had a nightly shear. They first started with Dafyemi, then he wanted to go slower. They turned it into a regular Daf Gemara for many years. Even the last few years, my brother-in-law described seeing him fall asleep on the table over a safer was common. But even the last few years, when unfortunately his memory was not there, you would walk in to our mayor Miriam's house regularly. He was reading a safer. He had a safer in front of him and was reading a safer. Tzedakah is really a book in and of itself. The savor upon him, Yafis, that he had for each individual. How he would listen to their story and care about their story. And some of my siblings and myself, we once tried to convince him, like, why don't you look at their Yishur, their Hamlatza, look at their letters and see it. One time a person came in and he gave him a very nice check. The guy gave him a beautiful sob story. He said, why don't you look at his Yishur, see whether he's legit. He said, La'achameh of Esrim. I want to be able to say, I never asked for Nishur. One time specifically, and this was not the only case, but this was a case with Tzedakah, that there was somebody that was not legitimate and had taken the number from the check that he gave him, and then he produced other checks, and he stole money from his account. And it was a total of thousands of dollars. And when they caught it, right away, they were all like, you have to tell the police. He shut down the account. He would not let us tell the police. He said, what, you're going to have the person go to jail? Not doing that. I'm not going to get the money back anyway. It's not in the gear. Shut down the account and that's it. It's a different, different mahalach. One eitzah, number of eitzahs that my father gave when speaking. Every Shabbos we got about a half hour drasha in shul. That was a lesson in and of itself. And... One thing he was mocked on, never say over a vart. You can learn a vart from somebody else and give credit to who you learned it from. But if it's not yours, don't say it. If you weren't kind of it, don't say it. Cliche me in Another point that he said, though, was when you're dealing with one type of audience, you speak one way. People that don't know much, you have to speak a different way. What happens if you have a mixed audience? What do you do then? He said, go to a story. Everybody loves a story. I want to share with you a story. About 22 years ago, sister was getting married in Eretz Yisrael, maybe 20, yeah, 22 years ago. And One of the people that I wanted to see that I, for some reason, never 
went to, never spoke to while I was a Bachar, was Remichel Stern. Has written many Sfarim, old Yerushalayim, a nephew of Rabshlan Zalman. So I decided I was going to go visit him. Let's say Shabbos, I went to visit him. And he says, Which halap are you? An Ainikol of Rabbi Yaakov Marisha? I said, Yeah. He said, How? I said, An Ainikol of Rabbi Michal. Can't be. Can't be. Baharag Baradlov. What do you mean, can't be? He said, I heard a Maisa from Rabbi Shlomo Zalman. And it doesn't make sense. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I'll tell you this story. And uh, I, it doesn't make sense. I know I heard it with Remichel. That Remichel and his wife did not have children for many years. They got married, I believe, in 1919. Or maybe 1918, around there. And they did not have children for many years. And then finally... I believe it was the beginning of 1928, maybe the end of 1927, there was Zeicha and they had a child. And when the child was maybe six months old, he came to Eretz Yisrael in the summer. Now, we never knew this part. We knew the basic story, but not the details. He said, they reached Yaffa, this is 1927, 19, 1928, they reached Yaffa, and you would send a postcard to Yerushalayim that you're there, rest up a day or two, and then take either the camel or donkey ride up from Yaffa to Yerushalayim. On that camel or donkey ride, there was some terrible type of accident. The baby fell and was killed. They come to Yerushalayim, everybody's waiting for them. The whole family, they were alone in America. They had been living in America since my grandfather moved there in 1921. They were totally cut off. They finally are going to see them and finally see the, the baby that's born. And they come to Yerushalayim to make a lava. He said that Rabbi Shalom Zalman told him that when he went with his father, Rabbi Haim Leibayerbach, who was a very witty person in addition to everything else that he was, said that was the only Nicham Avelim that he didn't know what he was going to say. What is he going to go? He's going to go there and Michal and Zerbetzin didn't have children all these years, finally have a child and now Leviah and now they're going back to America in a few weeks. They're going to invite to be in the Midbar. What am I going to tell them? He said, and as they were walking up the steps to Rabbi Yakimosha's house where they were sitting Shiva and Rabbi Yakimosha in general was makbid not to laugh Azimales Chaypinu there are no pictures of him even smiling. And it was an unbelievably leichte atmosphere. They could tell that people were just joking around. On the stairs, Rupheim Leib looked at his son, Rupheim Zalman, who then was a bacher, I believe. And he said, Nar an Eibishter, was ken geben azaklap, ken menachem zain azaklap. Only an Eibishter, that can give such a patch is able to console such a patch. I think about what people must have thought. Here, Michal Stern ended his story over there. 
1928, Reb Michal and his wife, Bobby, were probably the biggest nebuch. They're going back to America, it's over. So many other people are in such good position. And what do they have? They have nothing. We know the rest of the story, as many cousins told us, many great uncles said that Bubby, at that point in time, said, Hashem gave me one, he'll give me another one. And in 1929, they had daddy. Hara, what came out of that? Mishpacha, that daddy and mommy produced, Hara, the, the ideals that resonated in the home and really propelled us all, and we say it all the time, that people that don't know our parents, and certainly if you didn't know my mother and father, you think we're doing a good job. If you would know how much we felt from what their house was like. The last signature drasha that I remember hearing of my father was that my nephew, Marchamosh's Afruf. And you'll get a flavor. I don't remember the vart. The vart, I'm sure, was Givaldic. But I'm, I mean, you'll, get the, you'll get a flavor of a drasha. He said, one of the greatest American painters of the 20th century was Andrew White. And he made sure we knew that you spell it W-H-Y-T-H-E. Andrew White. And Andrew White's greatest painting was Christina's World. And the amazing thing is, if you look at Christina's World, that painting, you don't see Christina. Christina's a girl. She's not in the painting. All you see in the painting is a painting of trees. And in an interview, Andrew White said that one of the hardest things he did in that painting, and you have to believe in painting to believe this, one of the hardest things that he did was when he was painting those trees, it had to convey the message to the person looking at the painting that this girl, Christina, was looking at those trees and tending to those trees. He said it then about mommy, that you see this whole simcha, you see all these trees, you see all these saplings, you see all these fruit, and anybody that has a keen eye, he said, can very easily assess that this is mommy's world, that this is what she created. Today, tell you that it was their world. Daddy and Mommy, Mamish, in the middle of Marshall Parkway, Bronx, New York, built a mishpacha and as two only children, made a beautiful family. Said, is not just a charge that 
people should be commanded to do things. But it comes from the Lashon of Tzavas Yeshua, which the Rishonim explain, make Yeshua a leader, make Yeshua a commander. He would say, is you have to train your children and build up their confidence that they should lead. Every day benching, he would daven for us. for sure. But every day benching, and he benched twice a day. By the Mishabeirach, he wouldn't just say Bonai. He would say, Bonai ubnoisai, Nechdai v'chaisnai v'kalosai, Nechdai v'nechdoisai v'ninai. And every time he made a Mishaberach in the Bronx, he would say every person's name by name, every child and every grandchild. And yes, it might have been a long Mishaberach, but by him it was bedafka, he made sure not, never to have a paper, because he wanted to think about each child and each grandchild and each great-grandchild. And Beliyah and Hara wasn't a small number. Mention each and every one and think about each and every one and daven for them. I want to thank, a special thanks. All the siblings have been unbelievable. And really, Zev and I have the chiv of Kibadav, but Zev was very out of town, very much in town in Eretz Yisrael, um, in Cleveland, and the ones that were really always taking care in day to day were all my sisters. And they were unbelievable. But specifically, I want to thank Annie and Steve, who initially, when Daddy started having a physical decline, he stayed there, and it's not a big house, and they made it his house for five years. And then he was by Pesci and Rabiakov for years, and they were unbelievably ibigigemen to him. And it was a difficult kufa, cerebrally. And especially to Miriam and our mayor, who for the past few years have done everything and pulled out all stops and definitely given added years to his life. Thank the doctors, that Sala, the Biker Cholim, everything over there in Lakewood, and Dr. Reese Machutin, who really gave a lot of medical advice on day-to-day when it came up. I want to give a special yashukayach, especially in the later years when my father was having difficulty coming into yeshiva and everything, how the yeshiva was mechabed him and kept his office all the years and really made a special place for him. You know the Gemara about preparing a cheer coming to the Leviah. More res- recently, they say that Shlomo Haiman, when he was Nifter, he said, prepare a cheer for Rabbi Kiva Eger. He always fought to explain Rabbi Kiva Eger. 
Zaidi was, Daddy was an only child of Zaidi, and he always imbued in us love, respect, admiration, awe that he had for his father and for Rabbi Akamayashi de Zayda. Few people relate to their elder Zayda the way we do. Just the other, on Hanukkah, we were together. A little son is able to give the youthless to... Thank you. To, to Rabbi uh, Moshe and onwards. If there are two cheers here, I'm sure there would be for his father and grandfather, Rabbi Chil Michal and Rabbi Akamosha. Things are repeated a lot. You know that there's credence to it. I just want to come from my Hargish. And um, I think it's one of the key points to this Adam Gadol, Abzvon Benabichyom Mechel, known to me as Eidi. Zaidi told me that when he was a child, he had trouble with his eyes. He had bad eyesight. Hence, for those of us who are familiar with his unique glasses, when he wasn't wearing lenses. But I would like to suggest otherwise. Zaidi, you didn't have trouble with your eyes. You had gifted eyes. You had indeed a unique pair of glasses. And no one was lucky enough to see things through your lenses. Firstly, the bracha that we say every day leading up to the bracha on vision, everything Zaidi touched, he was machadish. His shtikl tayran shas were tremendous chidushim. 
You hear them in the beginning, you think it can't be. You try to ask Kashis, they all turn into Rias. A Pasuk and Chumash, the drasha you would make from a Pasuk and Chumash. And even mundane matters, he always had a novel approach, an original way of looking at things. And then there's the mission of us. The mission tells us, call me, sheyesh b'yodeh shleishadvarim halolu, mitalmidim shalavram avinu. Anyone who possesses any of these three things are from the students of Avram Avinu. Ayin Toiva, which really, literally means a good eye, he sees well. Ruach Lemucha, a humble spirit. Venefesh Fela, an undemanding soul. On Ayin Toiva, there are a lot of mafarshim. What the definition of Ayin Toiva is. Rabbi Sai, I looked through last night. Any explanation you choose is a prescription for Zaidi's eye exam. The Rambam, he says it's the meat of Estapkos, the knack of being satisfied with one's own lot. Zaidi wasn't just satisfied with his lot, he was infatuated with his lot. He would praise anything and everything he had from Hashem with such splendor. As was mentioned, he would talk about his apartment in the Bronx, a modest apartment in a regular Bronx building. He would go on a rampage about the high ceilings, the magnificent moldings, the enormous living room and dining room, to the point that one, my family envisioned a palace of a penthouse overlooking the most beautiful scenery and I remember dropping off Zaidi one Matzah Shabbos. And my wife was begging me to come in and see the apartment. But I just couldn't pop the image she had of the apartment. Not everyone is lucky enough to see things through Zaidi's glasses. Rashi offers a seemingly different approach. Ayin Toiva is not referring to seeing what's good about your own lot, rather what's good about your friend being able to forgive someone else. Zaidi looked at others through that same lens. Speaking about others by simchas or whenever, positive sentiments he infused about the subject knew no bounds. Every decent-looking person was beautiful. Anyone who, thought Torah, anyone who taught Torah was a Rosh Yeshiva. Alexander said every bacher was a Mitsuyan, and anything anyone did was unbelievable. And he did it without deviating from the true fact in Iota. He just focused on what was good, and through his lens, it was amazing. Rabbeinu Yoyna explains Ayin Toiva as nadivus, being generous with others. Was Zaidi ever generous? He was generous with his time, patience. I've mentioned we used to go Friday night. Now I go straight home Friday night for the Suda. Would stop on the way home, Montefiore Hospital. He knew it like the back of his hand, which helped because sometimes it was after hours. He used to know back doors, exit doors. And he would stroll through visiting people that he went for and people that he would meet. And boy, was he generous with his money. We could never forget his father's yard site. The Mishalachim lined up already long before he arrived. And he would show up 
in his nesher, a tender, not a taxi, ignoring the fact that any one of those mishalachim would have gladly offered a part of the donation to facilitate a taxi. But that would be for him. And himself he would not forget. And Mepharshim explained that these pshatim are really one persona. One who is content with himself is more than happy to focus on the good of others. But if I may add, the real ideal definition, of, the real definition of, the literal definition of Ayin Taiva is not the eye that sees the good, rather good eyes. Ayin Taiva means a good eyesight. And the pshat is, if you think about eyes, eyes is something which you can't see yourself. Without a reflection, without anything else, you can never look at yourself. Eyes is given to see others. Someone with a ruach gavaya and a nefesh rechava is possessed with himself. So he tries to use his eyes for himself also. That's an eye in ra. Those are not good eyes. But eyes that are focused on what they could do for others, that's an eye in taiva. Sadie, you had... You didn't have trouble with your eyes. Sadie was selfless. Everything was seen for others. He was so thankful and appreciative of everything he had. Like we said to the last words, Hashem He had such a hava, such love in everything. You know, Ahava comes from Hav, from giving. He loved his Tamlidim, he loved his family. It's a deep love for Eretz Yisrael. <laughs> deep love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as mentioned. More than anything, this is love for Taira. Avram Ben-Ahar says in the words, Nafshoi, Kshura Ben-Nafshoi. Kshura is Begematria Taira. That Pasuk describes the deepest bond in love. It's Gematria Taira. That was his life. He considered the walls of this base medrash a sanctuary. He fought for the highest standard and most intense levels of Limerat Taira. He would boast at the Talmidei Chachamim that the yeshiva has. He was well aware of the many different facets that operate from this campus but he would never compromise on the standard of a yeshiva. The yeshiva of yesteryear, the Rosh Yeshivas can be young and American, but they have to be Rosh Yeshivas that would match up to Rosh Yeshivas of yesteryear. And their COVID had to be held in highest esteem. He always said, professors retire, Rosh Yeshivas never retire. And he fought for that. He had Rosh Yeshivas in the hundreds. He made sure they had Talmidim that he was saying shir to every day. And in that schos, his office was still held to the last day. His covered achron is here. Zaydi, till now, we had a one-way relationship. You were my loving, caring, and giving Zaydi, and I was known as your pinnacle. You're my sandik, you're my Masada Kedushin, you're everything. And what's left for me is this chus of being the lava you, Tikfura. 
Last night, as I was coming to terms with the news, a number of my chaverim from yeshiva reached out, different recollections, different memories. As Rabbi Berman mentioned, almost everyone mentioned the Sefer Hazachroinus. Every word was written down. What came to mind, what David HaMelech says as he completes his Sefer Tehillim, Oz Amarti Hinei Bosi B'Megillah Sefer Kosovalai. David HaMelech says, says the Medrash, he turns to the Rabbeinu Shalom and he says, I come to you with a safer, a safer of tremendous difficulty, tremendous pain, tremendous accomplishment. Safer that began at the first day of my life, and a safer. Which I just completed writing. I imagine my Zaidi going up to Shmei Moroim. Oza Marti Hine Bosi Bimigila Sefer Kosovalai. With a beautiful Sefer. Sefer that had many, many pages, many chapters had chapters of terrible tragedy and difficulty. Chapters that for many of us would have been the last chapter. Chapters of losing Rechmon a child. The devastation. I still remember like yesterday the sobbing. When he lost his wife, Bobby. But he continued to write. He continued to write the beautiful Megillah Sefer. Every bocher in this yeshiva, every person that crossed his path, had a page in that Sefer. And he's going up with that Sefer right now, presenting to the Bariyoylam, look at my Sefer. Look at my people. Look who I tended to. Look who I believed in. Look at the stories that I wrote. There's a story that I heard a number of years ago. The moment I heard it, I thought of my Zaydi. The story goes of the Rebbe of Shab, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe. He was the one who began to create the Chabad as we know it, the focus 
And he was very interested and very focused on what we would call the Pashri. Rather than teaching and spending his time focusing on the intellectuals, the Tamidei, he occupied his time with the simple Jews, the Jews that no one else looked their way. And this, of course, often disturbed those Hasidim that were considered to be the Tamidei Chachamim, the Hasidim that were royalty. And one day after Simchas Torah, one of his closest Hasidim, Rav Manya, Mosensen, turns to the Rebbe, the Rebbe Rishab, and he says, Rebbe, I don't understand. What do you see in them? Why the focus? There's so many people that could teach and tend to these people. You could be busy with bigger things, bigger people, grander ideas, dreams, she'ifas for the entire Hasidus. The Rebbe said, Manya, I want to meet you after Yom Tif in your home before you leave town. Of course, no problem. The Rebbe comes to Manya Mosensen. He says, where are you headed now? You know, I'm headed on a business trip. What are you going to do? Where are you going to do? What are you going to sell? What do you buy? I, I'm the diamonds. Let me see the diamonds, Manya. She takes out the most beautiful diamond. Perfect. Not a blemish in sight. Shows it proudly to his Rebbe. The Rebbe says, it looks like a rock. But Rebbe, you don't understand. Look at all the aspects, the facets, the shine, the glimmer. Not a blemish inside, the size. Rebbe, look from this perspective. Look under this light. You see, have you ever seen such a diamond? Rebbe says, it looks like a stone. Manya, all dejected, says, "Ah, I guess you need a trained eye to appreciate a diamond. The Rebbe turns to his dear Chassid and he says, I deal in diamonds too. I deal in Yidin. But I guess you need a trained eye to see the diamond, to see the sparkle. This was my Zaydi. This was my Zaydi. We sometimes as children didn't understand. We would come to a Shabbos in the Bronx. Zaydi, why are you still here? There are 10 people. Most do not know Hebrew. And the Jerusha that you're giving could be given in the, a packed base medrash of B'nai Torah. Then we'd come for lunch. Every person in the minion, every single one without fail, around the table, filling themselves with a meal they probably hadn't had in a week and likely will not have till next Shabbos. And the interest he had, because he saw diamonds. He saw sparkling diamonds. And I was, as I was coming here this morning, 
I was thinking, how is it possible? How did he see, as Rabbi Chil mentioned, the sparkle, the beauty, where no one else was able to see it? And I realized that my Zaydi had an ability, which I don't know if many other people have, certainly something which is lacking in this dar, my dar. Generally speaking, as mechanachim, as rabbonim, as parents, as grandparents, we have to pick an approach. We have to pick a mahalach. Are you going to have high standards? Are you going to shoot for the stars? Are you going to push your children for excellence? Show them that you believe in them. They could strive for more. Yes, even be disappointed at times. Or are you going to take the approach of unconditional love? As long as you're happy. As long as you're fine. I'm okay. And we as parents struggle. We struggle because we want to see the best. We want to see our children grow, our grandchildren grow and accomplish knowing what they could. My grandfather... Was able to have the highest standards. He didn't settle for less than excellence. If he was running a yeshiva, the standard was velozhin. If you're learning, you have to learn to be a godl be Yisrael. I remember vividly at my bar mitzvah. He turned to me, said, Mati, 13 years ago, I gave you a bracha, zeha koton, godol yiyeh. And today I give you a bracha, zeha godol, godol yiyeh. The she'ifas, the dreams, the expectations were there. But then he accepted whoever you were. It wasn't a steer. It wasn't a contradiction. The highest expectations. But whatever you did was always the best. You were always a diamond. And for us, the expectations of Mishpachas Chalap were very, very clear. He expected us to wear that badge as a badge of honor. I remember always hearing in the house, the Zayde, the Zayde, the Zayde. As a young boy, five, six, seven years old, maybe, I turned to him, Zayde. So this Zayde, where was he, the rabbi? He turned to me. I remember it like yesterday. Mati, he was a rabbi and shall call Yisrael. He was Migdele Hadar. It was a moment of realize where you come from. Set your standards high. Have Sheifis. Dream big. And at times it came in a harsh way. 
And I remember sometimes feeling the expectations are too high. And then you would overhear him talking about you to someone else. Wow! Did you see Mati? A masmid? Unbelievable! But and you realize the expectations were there. He believed in the diamond in you. But he accepted you. And he saw the beauty in anything you did. In one of his Divrei Torah, he writes so beautifully that if you look at the Targum, the Targum often translates Toiv as Tav. But when the Targum translates Toiv, the Toiv Einayim, it's a different translation, Atik. And he suggested Atik means Toivinayim. Takin. Sorry. I see you heard it more than once like me. <laughs> and he suggested when Toiv is Toivinayim, it's Toiv Bishlamus. Perfection. Because you set your standards for Shlamus. You set your she'ivas for perfection, but then you accept whatever comes. I always felt somewhat dismayed. I had this connection to the great Zayd. He made it so real, so powerful. My kids will never hear those stories. They won't have that bar set so high for them. As this thought brought tears to my eyes last night, I realized my kids will have their Zayda. Their Zayda that set his bar so high because he believed in every single one of them. And no matter how high the bar was set, if you gave it your all, you put your koiches in, there was unconditional love. This was my zebe. Toyvei Only saw the good, but didn't allow that. To limit himself to smallness, to limit his expectations. If you were chala, the standards were set high. But if you gave it your all, you knew that his embrace, his hug was waiting for you. We're going to miss Adi, but he's now for Amishvacha. And then the Chum will begin for the family after the Kura. 
Chomu begin because there were two gaping holes in my father-in-law's life. Lassen is Rebetzin, which he did not visit that often because the pain was so deep. And his father, that informed almost everything he did. And as he got older, it was hardly a, a conversation that did not involve his father. And imagine from Harazesim, the Neshama of Chalav will be greeted. Imagine the Simcha Shmei when he's reunited with the Neshama of his Rebetzin, when he's once again reunited with the Neshamas of his parents. And many times, when we as children, we stop for a moment and try to figure out what would Harav Chalav have done. And many times, in a Rebbe's meeting, stop for a moment, what would Harav Chalav said? You realize then, Pshat and the Medrash with Mus Joiknai, Yosef at Sadik was in a moment, vision of his father comes up, and apparently the vision of his father was not enough to stop and to instruct Yosef. He had to say something. He had to say something along the lines, you owe it to your future generations. But the vision of seeing Yaakov was not enough. It occurred to me that whenever we stop for a moment and we say, what would Daddy have done? What would have Chalab done? We stop for a moment and we say, no, no, no. Only Rav Chalab could have done that. Only he could have said it. Only he would have known how to say it. They would only have taken it from him. So we have to hear the next voice. Rav Chalab says, but you owe it to your family, you owe it to your children. And that will be the guidance that so many of us take forward. The poetry of Rav Chalab's life closes our Divrei Hesped this morning as well. Ever so grateful to Rabbi Yosef Kalinsky, who I thought I was just asking to have the Hesped in the base of Medrash. I did not realize what preparations had to be made. In the next hours, Rabbi Kalinsky, and I understand Eliza, and the guidance of Rabbi Willig, involved the team to make sure that how befitting it would be to speak about Achalab, to begin to speak a spade of Achalab in this Beis HaMedrash. Began with the words of Rav Shechter. And we'll close Divrei Hesped with the words of Rav Willig. Once again, Surrounded by Torah, surrounded by the Rosh Yeshiva, they were always uppermost in his heart. That's what we'll look
a phrase that Rav Chalap used quite often. A pasuk in Shmuel Beis. Sar v'gadol nafal hayom We've all heard from him. How true it is today. What is a sar, and what is a gadol? I remember Rav Chalap officially retired some 15 years ago. He told me as follows. He said, until now that I was the dean, I had power. From now on, I only have influence. Those were his very words. Seems to me a sar has power. A godol has influence. How do you measure godless? Godless is mentioned, measured by influence. The more godol, the sun, is much smaller than the kolchavim. But because of its influence, its critical, indispensable influence on our world, it's called the Mar Hagadol. Hashpa, the Hebrew word for influence, comes from the word Shefa. We heard before about Rabbi Chalap Sefer called the Shefa Yamin. Found in the context of Zvulun. In Pashas, Vizdosa Brocha. The Yam was the Yam Torah. The unending sea of his Torah and of all of our Torahs. As the words of Batzvon in Pashas Vayechi, Chof Yam, the name of his father, Sefer, Yamim, Yechiel Michal ben Yaakov Moshe. So appropriate that his sefer is the Shefa Yamin. Says the Gemara Masechta Brachas Tavchesemet Beis. Hizaru bezokein sheshochach talmudo machmas onso. Be careful. Make sure to give proper honor to a person in his old age. Sadly forgets <laughs> the Luchos, the Shivre Luchos, Munachim Baron, the Aaron outside. His last years, so sadly, Rabbi Kalab was a shiver luchos. Forgot his learning, his mind wasn't with him. He 
his daughters and sons-in-law took amazing care of him. In Muncie, in Teaneck, and Lakewood. I want to speak about the Luchos before they broke. Rabbi Chalap was sui generous. Completely unique individual. There was no one like him. He fought the battles of Hashem when he was a Tsar. L'shem Shemayim. For the sake of heaven. Without any personal interest whatsoever. Without fear. For the sake of the truth. And he succeeded in many, many difficult and complicated assignments for the sake of our yeshiva. Next Shabbos we'll read Haftorah. She was the Vora. Zvulun amcheref nafsholamus. What does that mean? He wasn't afraid of losing his job. If he had to speak up on behalf of the yeshiva, it didn't matter who was on the other side. It just did not matter. As we heard before, he wanted to be financially independent, so he shouldn't be afraid to lose his job by speaking truth to power. He was totally unafraid. Zvulun amcheref nafshalamus. impossible to speak of the magnitude of his contribution to our yeshiva. Of all of his battles, he had complete integrity and total discretion. The secrets he took with him into the grave, I know some of them, I was very close with him for a long time, most will remain a secret. We heard before about the Sefer Zechronos, the same Haftorah. A few psukim earlier. Who can forget those books? Tens of thousands of facts, interviews. Secret till today. He was a great manhig, a great leader. As we heard before in the Rebbe St. Peshi's letter, he was an amazing nahag as well. You drove a car with him, if you drove in his car, you had to put on your seatbelt and you had to say till him. You will not forget. He loved to tell stories, as we heard, personal stories, community stories, in his own unique style. I want to tell the grandchildren who were here, who did not get to know him, because sadly he was a Shivre Luchas for, as we heard, quite a number of years. He was special, and you, his descendants, are special. His stories would regale you for unending hours. You come into his office, you never know when you get out. Adus. You never know when you get. You know when you go in. You never know when you get out. 
I'll tell you just one story. He told us a story that he was once in Harazesim looking for the kever of his father, his grandfather, and it was very confusing up there. He said he was running and running and trying, it was raining, and suddenly he just slips and falls on the ground. And right in front of him is a kever, it says on it, Zvulun Chalap. His great grandfather. How can you forget such a story? One of thousands of stories much I've heard over the years, over the decades. Told us many stories to many people. I want to single out two of my very distinguished colleagues who were his confidants, mostly in succession. Rabbi Parnas Shalita. I still remember when conference calls began in the 1980s. The three of us were on the phone past midnight, night after night, strategizing how to help the yeshiva in difficult circumstances. And subsequently, there are Rosenzweig Shlita. Many, many stories, many, many stories we cannot tell even to this day. Just Hanukkah, a few weeks ago, Rosemary was sitting at the table with the Kolo Elyon, Chevra, and all we're talking about is Rabbi Chalap. And we can't forget him. What example he set for us. Every Rebbe had full faith in him because every Rebbe knew that Rabbi Chalap was here to help them and to protect them. Every Talmud was embraced by him with great love, with all the various interviews and all the various bechinas that he gave. Not easy, as we heard, running a yeshiva with competing values and competing personalities, including great personalities. He did it with an incredible combination of tenacity, faithfulness, and modesty, humility. I'd like to speak just for a few moments my personal Hakara Satov to Chala. I'm sure many here can give their own stories. I was asked by the family to give mine. First time I had an interaction with Rabbi Chala was in the bungalow colony, which was referred to already twice. It was called Paradise Bungalow Colony in the Catskills. My wife and I came to spend the Shabbos with the Rav Shech, Tashlit, and his Rebetzin. He walk in there, and he challenges me to a game of racquetball. I kid you not. I figure, I'm young, much older than me. I'm slim. At that point in time, he was quite uh, stout. A piece of cake. Are you kidding? I've never, ever seen such a fierce competitor. He licked me. And he never let me forget it. My first interaction. Just a few weeks later, literally a few weeks later, he's appointed by Rabbi Dr. Belkin to be the Manah of the Yeshiva. But he told me the following story. At that point in time, he taught American history, as we heard, but he also taught in JSS, he taught Mishnah and Gemara 
twice a week. And Rabbi Bezdin said to Rabbi Belkin, I'm so sorry, you cannot hire him because he's working for me. Can you imagine? I want to mention Rabbi Bezdin, as we heard before, would sit with the meetings of the administrators and said that there was nobody in the room as tenacious, who always got his way, as Rabbi Chalap. And he attributed to the fact, as we heard, Rabbi Chalap, in his words, was an Eretz Yisrael dicker, where they know how to get things done. That's what he said to us more than once. So Rabbi Chalap remembered me, perhaps from the Rakhapal court. That year I'd gotten smicha, I spoke at a little mini Chag smicha. he was there, I didn't even know he was there. And he said, you know, Rabbi Bezin, you're from Queens, and this young fellow, Willig, is from Queens. Oh, yeah. That's why I got my first job. I succeeded him in his position, teaching Mishnah Gemara in the JSS back in 1971. Just got smicha. A few years later, he was kind enough to appoint me as a Rebbe in the yeshiva. And a few decades later, to help involve the Kolin. I want to say, I was his neighbor in the Bronx. Riverdale and Mashalu, walking distance. And for quite a number of years, the Balkare, whether it came from my house or a different state of state in our house, would walk from my house, go to Mashalu, lane, eat lunch, and come back. So years went on. It was my children ate lunch by me, but it was someone else ate lunch by him. Bono Banisi Beis Vulach, Mochal Neshivtach Olamim. We read in Melach Amalaf, and Shlomo Amalaf dedicates to Beis Hamikdash. The Nifter is going to Beis Olamo, his private abode, here in Harazesin, up in Shemaya, in Ganeda. Ganeda, once again, paradise. I first met him in paradise. And now he's going to the real paradise. We read about Gan Eden in the Sheva Brachos. Who can forget, those who know, the incredible love and affection and loyalty and devotion of the Rabbi and Rebbe Sinchalah. He relied on her completely he told me very private secrets about her great, great righteousness. After she passed away, it was very hard for him. With great, great strength, he was able to continue. And where do we find the first mention of the name Zavulun? Hapam is Beleni Ishi. Who is Ishi in our context? As we read in Hosea, Haftorah by Midbar, the Kodesh Baruch Hu, Bayomu Tikri Ishi. How do you translate Yisbulene Ishi? I have in front of me the Stone Chumash, official translation. I read, I quote, will make his permanent home with me. 
She called him Zvulun. <laughs> Rabbi Chalap's home, the Marshall Parkway, where many wonderful things went on. But his permanent home is going to right now in Shemai. Smach Zvulun Secha. We read in the Vizosa Bracha. And again, I give direct quotation from the Stone Chumash. The Sifriyat says, in the merit of Zavulun's support of Torah study, he will rejoice when he leaves this world. B'tzei Secha, when you leave. The Nifta taught Torah, but in his capacity as the manal of our yeshiva for so many years and decades, he supported Torah. He supported the Rebbe's. He supported the Talmudim. Yes, Sar v'gadol nafal b'Yisrael. But we believe with our full heart, Memunah Shlema. That this is a Yeridal Desorach Aliyah. From Elias Neshom and Gan Eden. A base Zvuli We will not forget him. We will try our best, all of us, to strengthen this Bayez Godol, this Yeshiva, Bayez Shemagadan Botoro, based on his spirit, on his Ruach, as we read in Kohelis. Person goes away. Ruach bnei Adam ha'olehi lemala. The spirit of Rav Chalap. <laughs> Ascends on high. Let his unique misora be a consolation for his wonderful family and for all of us. Tehei nishmasus ruh b'tzorachayim. Please rise for the kabbalah. El malei rachamim shochein amaromim hansei menuchanachonah al kanfei ashechinah b'malos kedoshim atorim
Stay in place and allow the family, that family, the men from downstairs and the women from upstairs to come into the lobby with all the Rosh Yeshiva to begin to accompany the nifter outside and then please everybody join us afterward. Recording stopped.